Well, hello and welcome to the second episode of the Powers and the Pastorate podcast. I am joined today by my first guest, uh, Liam, a pastor in Pennsylvania, uh, or former pastor. I don't know. I don't know how uh, you want to be introduced. I'm still a licensed pastor. I can still go to churches in the conference and preach and teach and still apply for pastor positions. I'm just not an act. I don't have the job title of pastor at the moment. Okay. Licensed, but not currently serving. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I brought Liam on because I wanted to discuss with him. I wanted to talk with him about a situation that he's in and how similar it is to a situation that I've been in. Uh, where we've kind of come up against many of the power systems, many of the principality, many of the structures and systems within our churches, within society as a whole, and it hasn't been received well. Um, it hasn't been received well, and it's it's brought back uh, criticism of both him and I, uh, but also towards our wives, strangely enough. Um, and so I'm sure in addition to all the other things we can talk about, uh, sexism <laughs> is, is also pretty high in that list. Uh, so Liam, you told your story in our sister podcast. I'll go as far as calling it a sister podcast. What the hell is a pastor? And I'll include the link in the show notes for that. And so I invite you, if you want to hear his story, either stop here and listen to it or circle back after you're done with this episode and listen to it after the fact. Uh, but it's a... It's it's a story, <laughs> and and Liam's going to go through some of the highlights uh, for us now. Uh, yeah, so pretty much the, the Cliff Notes version of it would be during COVID, uh, I started up the, made sure the church was still active, made sure we still had services running and everything uh, completely online and moved a lot of our ministries that we could move online. Uh, moved them there for the time being uh, and then when the George Floyd uh, murder happened and everything began to happen with Black Lives Matter uh, my wife posted something that said essentially hey particular church that my husband works at and the conference in general uh, what are we doing in light of what has happened and what's happening across our country and across the world with the Black Lives Matter movement? Uh, within a week, uh, my conference had a video up discussing this particular issue as well as addressing her concern directly. Uh, the church that I worked at did not address anything, uh, has honestly yet to address anything about it. Uh, but the senior pastor asked my wife and I to have a conversation with him, at which point we found an extra person there to, that kind of ambushed us there, uh, and they essentially told us that we were bad-mouthing the church and that racism in America is an individual thing, not systemic in any way, and you can't even say it's racism unless it is somebody's direct opinion is that their race is superior to another person's race and you can't assume that they have to essentially say it for you to be like ah oh, that's racism uh and people of color and people in minority groups cannot proclaim something to be racist uh unless the white person uh i'm guessing in this situation would be like well i believe white people are better and so we had issue with that, and they essentially told my wife to stop posting things. Uh, I then continued to preach on how, like, Jeremiah uh, and a lot of the Old Testament, and a lot of, honestly, just read the Bible, and you'll see a lot of things about overturning the incorrupt uh, institutions we have, and reforming our institutions, and God seeking justice for the marginalized and all that. Uh, so I made sermons on that, and they got some good reviews from some people and some people just stopped stop talking to me altogether. Weeks go by, quarantine happens. Uh, we are like, in, in Pennsylvania, we had a system where we had red, yellow, and green stages. Uh, red stage, we couldn't like 
you couldn't go anywhere except for necessary uh, items, yellow, things started opening up and green, more things opened up, but you know, still be cautious and still do certain precautions. Um, during yellow and green phase, I advocated that we remain closed doors because it would be a good example to the community as well as our entire congregation. Uh, so that was another thing that people didn't like that I did. Uh, fast forward a couple more months, my wife is posting about Black Lives Matter, about uh, Pride Month, about uh, a bunch of you know politically charged things. And after the 4th of July, she made a post saying, hey, if you were at a 4th of July meeting or a picnic or something, perhaps wait two weeks before coming back into church because we had opened our doors since then. Uh, at which point the, the president told her that that was her opinion. Everyone should come to church uh, and essentially just ignore her. Then my secretary at that time uh, called me and talked to my wife and yelled at her for two hours about me and then yelled at her and I again the next day and told us that essentially we are not allowed to share our opinions of anything and the senior pastor heard all this and just asked my wife if she had an appointment to be in my office uh, and that you know there was a lot of things to do that day that people were there to work so maybe she should just go that was pretty much the nail in the coffin for us we we I, I started looking at other places. I started writing out a resignation letter, and then we got notified that we were going to have a mid-year review, which they've never done before. And I kind of knew, and, and I'd also had conversations with a, a former, a, form, a, a retired pastor in the congregation, uh, as well as the senior pastor at the time uh, about how People are really complaining about me. People don't know what I'm doing. People don't know why they're paying me. Some people are concerned about money, even though in, like the, the giving hadn't given off, like hadn't stopped at all. But that was an excuse. That was a reason to, to look to get rid of me. Uh, so I knew this mid-year review was most likely just going to be, hey, this is all the things you're missing. This is why we, sh we are gonna recommend letting you go. So before that happened, I just gave my resignation. And at which point, which, this is my favorite part. And I don't remember if I mentioned it in the other podcast. The day I, I gave my resignation and announced that I was going to be leaving, uh, somebody asked the, the senior pastor, like, why, why I was leaving, had they tried to ask me to stay. And during the second service, he made mention of that and said, which is a blatant lie now, he said, we begged him to stay. During a worship service, up in front of the entire congregation, live on online as well, blatantly lied to the entire congregation. I had friends and family who had known this story, watched it, and just started laughing. <laughs> because they they like, he's lying. And I'm like, yeah, that's give you an indication of what that church was going through and what that church was was dealing with and doing and allowing. Uh, where even the senior pastor is just blatantly now lying to appease people. But that was my story, and now it's been, I'm on my third week out of that place, and even though I have no job prospects at the moment still, I feel so much more healthy, and like, and like, I... Now, unfortunately, I haven't spent like enough time in the Bible in the last three weeks because I've just been really like exhausted from dealing with a lot of things. But I just opened my Bible like the other night and was just like, oh, this is this is good again. I remember how good this is and how I can't let the sins and, and the, the evil actions and deeds of others distort my love of scripture and distort my love of Christ. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was, that's been my story <laughs> for the last 2020. And, 
and that the re that's yeah that's the reason i wanted to bring you on because as you tell that uh and as i heard you tell that in the other podcast i'm just listening to it and i'm like this uh sounds kind of beat for beat like my own situation only the only difference is that my story doesn't end with me leaving the church <laughs> yeah which which i'll i'll we can talk about that in a minute um that that sense of of spiritual deadness that the institution can kind of bring upon you um, or bring upon us um, but my own situation is uh, the long the long and short of it this the too long to read version is that uh, quarantine happened in Michigan um, and in Michigan it lasted from about the 14th of uh, March until the second week in June something like that um, and and it was it was a rough situation. Uh, we were doing all of our videos online, and I was pretty insistent about continuing to be online as long as we could, as long as we should be. Um, and two weeks before quarantine was officially lifted, uh, the decision was made not by me, by leadership in the one of the two churches I serve, that a impromptu dry, uh, dry or a, a parking lot service was going to take place. And so I was not overly invited. I was not really invited to the first service. I was more invited to the second one directly to preach. And that was the, it was either the week of or the week after the George Floyd murder. Um, and I was really thinking about like what it was that I was going to preach because a part of me really just wanted to like shame them <laughs> uh, for, you know, breaking the law even you could say because they're meeting when quarantine is happening they're listening to or they're not listening to the recommendation of uh, the bishop um and it's just not a good time and so there was a large part of me that really just wanted to to kind of shame them in that way and i opted not to which was a good decision but the the thing i ultimately did was i found a sermon by martin luther dr martin luther king jr uh, the other America, which I think is one of his best speeches, and um, I gave I gave probably about a third of that speech as a sermon. Um, and my wife and I wore our Black Lives Matter shirts that day. And by the at the end of the service, at the end of the sermon, effectively one woman uh, stormed the stage and began to give her testimony for lack of a better word saying that you know she comes to church for hope not for sadness <laughs> i don't know um and then uh, and then the other people from out in the crowd began to effectively shout us down with an all lives matter um viewpoint and from there we were i was called up a week or two later by a leader one of the leadership in my church in my church who said that we were also going to be having a performance review uh and ultimately what this performance review was was a trap uh where i was um all but uh requested to leave <laughs> Uh, by the one church only. The other church was kind of taken aback by this because they had no idea any of this was happening. And so they they heard all this, they heard everything that was happening, and they were uh, obviously taken aback. And that was in June. And over the course of this entire summer, we've just been dealing with drama point after drama point of uh, just toxicity. Uh, people, people messaging my wife um, on Facebook and like sending her videos they're calling her uh all sorts of names um and it was just just not a good situation and so that's a lot of and there's a lot many more parallels that i could think of but that's like some of the big ones that that as you tell your story i'm like mm, mm, mm. um and so obviously there's a lot of points there's a lot of notes that we can hit there there's the note of well, white supremacy yeah um, there's the note of sexism, uh, because it's always seems to be our wives that get the brunt of it. Yeah. Um, even though they're not employed by the church. Nope. Um, and then the dehumanization of the institution. Um, yes. And so let's, let's start with the dehumanize, dehumanization of the institution and then work backwards. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so you ended your statement, you ended your, your story by telling us about the, uh, freedom the, yeah. the, the relief <laughs> that you feel yeah um 
and that's and that's kind of something that I've also been reflecting on is the feeling of um, the as as our as our different uh, liturgies would say slavery to sin and death, mm. um, the feeling of oppression, um, and it it really in a lot of senses coming from the institution itself. Which, uh, as a reminder for anybody who listened to the first episode, an institution is one of one form of a principality. Um, it has a, a visible and invisible uh, uh, element to it, um, and it has power over us, especially when it's something that employs us. Yeah. Um, and in many cases, these principalities, these institutions are interested more, I would go as far as saying, in their own survival <laughs> than in uh, being life-giving or serving life. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree with that. Uh, mainly because, like, we, we, we see that throughout history with the church like many times there the focus has been on a financial uh financial and keeping resources to their maximum rather than giving freely to those in need and helping those like i would agree with that wholeheartedly but yeah um talking about the freedom you feel it's i honestly didn't when i started when I started in this church, I felt I felt a sense of responsibility. I felt really gr- glad to start working and doing stuff that my degrees were in and doing something that, on it, to be honest, uh, before this, I thought for sure I would find a, a church somewhere and preach there for 40 years and, and retire. Like the millennial hopes that I know are impossible now for our generation still resided within me there like three years ago. Um, but honestly, as time's gone on and people just complain about the littlest things, uh, they complained about, uh, they complained about the height of the pat of their pre of their current pastor. He is, he is rather short. Uh, and so whenever he would stand where he was like closer to everybody, uh, the people complained they couldn't see him. But whenever he'd stand in the back so he could be higher so people could see him, people complained that he was too far away. And I'm just like, there's, there's honestly easy solutions to this. One, you could stop sitting in the back row. You could stop sitting in the back row and sit up front and, and you could deal with that but it's the pew they've been in for the last 30 years. They don't want to do that. And, and it's it's these kind of mindless and and selfish actions throughout the entire church that just, that, that team with tradition, team with the sense of we've always done it this way, that's why it has to continue, just beat you down. Uh, so whenever I left the church, I realized I didn't have to worry about getting all the things prepped that I usually did. I were, I no longer had to worry about uh, making sure I, I, because one thing they complained about the previous youth pastor was that guy used an app to read the Bible uh, and he wore sandals to church. I would rather be barefoot in church. Um, I hate shoes. But I, but my time there, I never wore sandals during service. I always had professional looking shoes on because I knew that was a thing they complained about. And now I'm looking back on it. I'm like, yeah, I don't have to worry about that kind of crap anymore. I don't have to worry about the stupid little things that people worried about to keep their sense, their, their own personal sense of holiness in a building uh, or keep their own sense of tradition. And it's just very uh, liberating <laughs> to not worry about that anymore. Yeah, what that what that makes me think of, and, may, and I, I, I guess I'll get your take on this is, sorry, hold on, I have to clear my throat. What that makes me think of, and, and I want to get your opinion on this, um, is it seems as though many of these churches um, are made up predominantly of baby boomers. Um, not, not to speak overly negatively of baby boomers across the board, but um, 
that's what it sounds like I'm doing. Um, and there is this notion, there's this narrative within the church that says that we want young people here. We, we want millennials, we want zennials, we want, uh, we want people who will become the next generation to carry on all of our traditions and all of our uh, everything that, that we stand for and everything that we, we represent. And what that really means is we want young people who think and act exactly like us. Um, and when that isn't the case, uh, especially with pastors, then there is that sense of you're you're destroying everything <laughs> and secretly we actually don't want you here and maybe not so secretly yeah um yeah uh that's i know we we can see that throughout uh american churches american christianity churches we see that most of the people that attend are boomers or gen xers um we can, I've, I've been reading articles, likelihood of people leaving. So like at the end of COVID, once everything is done and there's a, there's a vaccine and praying to the Lord that everybody gets a vaccine and like, we take care of this. Statistically about 30% of every church, their congregate, that 30% of their congregation will not return. Mm-hmm. People aren't returning back to, to in physical buildings and doing all that stuff um, for for worship services. In fact, many businesses I know are moving completely remote now, mm-hmm. uh, and it's churches that are ignoring this move that are really going to financially be like they're financially going to struggle, as well as like that once the Gen X generation, the Gen Xers, and the few millennials that are there leave or die it's done Hmm. like they're they're signing their death warrant by not wanting to innovate or do anything different um and you're very much right like whenever you go like i just spoke to my wife about this like i'm i'm loving right now just being able to, to sleep in a little bit on sunday uh and then just open up our laptop open up uh turn on the computer watch a service listen to to some good worship songs sing in our in our house if we want to like it's so nice to do that Mm -hmm. now we do miss the community aspect of it but you know during this time that's understandable i feel like churches uh young churches that are trying to actually reach millennials and uh zennials are actually going to continue to do online services, but they're going to offer things throughout the week that are going to help benefit community building. That's really, I think, where churches need to go is they have to move away from our Sunday service, uh, nine, 10 o'clock, well, whatever time it is, you have to end by noon because Mm -hmm. you got to make it to lunch. Like that's (laughs) going to be going away. You got to get to Applebee's. (laughs) (laughs) For my family, it was always hosses. Which, if you don't know, it's just like a bad steakhouse, quote unquote, uh, with a buffet table and a salad bar, and it's it's you go there for the unlimited ice cream. That's the only ah, so it's it's there. Ponderosa. It's Michigan. It's it's <laughs> in Michigan we call it Ponderosa. <laughs> All right, yeah, same name, mm-hmm. uh, different name, same demon. It's right. fine. <laughs> <laughs> right, same same demon of gluttony. Yeah, uh, but. I, I feel like churches are going to need to really do this. Like they need to start looking and the church I just was at did not want to do it. Mm-hmm. They did not want to move stuff online. I wanted to move their Bible study online just to let it for like people at home. So they could, people who are homebound could participate. They fought me. They, well, they won. They, they eventually won because I left and no one's going to push it. Mm-hmm. But no, I think you're right. Like the church to attract millennials and Gen Z are going to have to do something very different. And it's mm-hmm. unfortunate because one thing I also noticed in churches, uh, we call them like Xennials or Gen Z boomers to my understanding, the majority of boomers and Gen Xers still call them millennials. Mm-hmm. They don't understand that that's another generation. now. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Which is so like disheartening because you're talking with these kids who you have 
I, as a youth pastor, I didn't have like, I, I had to remind our council all the time. We do not live in the same world they do. Mm-hmm. Like when I, when I was raised, I didn't have a cell phone until high school. Mm-hmm. Middle schoolers have cell phones. Middle schoolers are using the internet. Elementary school kids are using the internet. I didn't get to use that till middle school, high school. Like we live in a very different world. Right and grew up very differently, and they just don't understand that. <laughs> we we had our we had the the uh, the golden age of our childhood pre Patriot Act. <laughs> yeah, you, you might say <laughs> um, no, but but that's that reminds me of like uh, something I had said uh, in a conversation with uh, our, with Ethan, um, the host of What the Hell Is a Pastor, um, where we talked about where I had I had expressed my concern, my frustration that. Um, this this was coming from my previous church at the time and it continues to hold true for this church that you know were i not the pastor were i just a random joe off the street um if i were treated uh the way that i've been treated by these churches if i if i walked in and kind of saw the way certain things worked uh the way they do and if i were not stuck (laughs) in that in that institution, in that church, I would I would never come back. Um, and the same especially holds true for my wife. The only like if she were just uh, if she were just random person, uh, much like your wife, uh, and maybe this can begin the segue into the sexism conversation. Uh, <laughs> if if she were just random person off the street, uh, and she experienced the same sort of vitriol. <laughs> Uh, that that she has experienced from from church people, uh, she would never come back, um, and that's really just these these institutions inevitably unwillingly signing their own death warrant mm-hmm. because kind of, kind of to bounce off what you said, it's this inability or unwillingness to innovate or to yeah. change. Um, you kind of the the institution has to stay the same, yeah. Um, and what that does, what that means, is that a lot of these churches who are either become like us or get out, um, what it means is that they're giving themselves at best fifteen years. I um, I'll go even far enough and say giving them thirty years, because you know. You know that they're going like whenever people whenever the the older generation pass we see it common whenever older generations pass they donate a lot of money to the church mm-hmm. and so that's going to help keep those institutions going for just a little bit longer with less people coming in mm-hmm. uh so i'll give them 30 years because the stubbornness of humanity <laughs> <laughs> right and and i think that speaks to the um going going back to what you had said about the this the the oppression of the institution Mm. um is that we we end up kind of feeling in this place where we're trapped where like we we have these ideas of what we would like to do (laughs) And maybe, maybe, maybe if we're lucky, we can enact one or two of those ideas and yeah. be able to like use that as our quote sustaining thing that keeps us going on the bad days, which is something that our superiors like to tell us all the time. Just find the one thing you like, and that'll sustain you through the bad times. Um, but, but I think I saw the statistic somewhere, and I, I. I couldn't look it up. I couldn't find it. I don't know what it is. I think it's something like anywhere from a quarter to half of all pastors uh, quit within the first five years. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. I, a few years ago, I couldn't have, I didn't, I wouldn't have understood that. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm beginning to understand that because in the Methodist system, especially with, or five years is about, you know, within five years, that's about the time you go from your first church to your second church. Okay. And so you go from your first church, which is usually not a best, not the greatest situation, because in the Methodist system we're usually thrown into the, the backwoods. Yeah, um, where where there are problems, there's sexism, racism, all that good stuff. And then we get out of that church and we go to another church, 
uh, and we're like, everything's going to be better now. Everything's, <laughs> everything's, uh, we're working, we're working on up. And then you get to the second church and it's the same problems or worse problems. Yeah. And, and you're just like, is this just what my life is going to be forever? <laughs> yeah. Um, dealing. <laughs> I, I hate to be a downer about it. No, no, it's just, it's just accurate. <laughs> it's just accurate. Right. There's so much, there's so much, like when we, we can, we can, pull this into the, the sexism discussion mm-hmm. there's so much sexism i okay i follow the i follow somebody who she constantly is tweeting instagramming facebooking about how women are to be empowered in ministry and growing up the congregately the conference that i've always been in like that was I, to my understanding that was a no-brainer obviously god creates men and women women should also be in ministry why not this doesn't why why is that a question but there's just so many people angry at her and yelling at her and and using scripture completely out of context or completely horribly in context (laughs) and i'm just like yeah you're right that is a good example of how we're not supposed to be Mm -hmm. like that is how we're not supposed to be why do you not see that in the rest of the story but like it's it's just so disheartening and like she constantly is posting about it and i i the only way i think like i it's exhausting to me and i'm very privileged because you know white guy i'm i'm tired after you know a couple months of reading these things (laughs) this is something she deals with every single day at all times i'm like that oh church has not understood this the church has not understood just how terrible we've been to others uh because we like to focus on those one or two good things during the hard time we like to focus on those one or two good things we're doing and ignore the children in the cages ignore the black people being murdered by those who are not judge and jury uh we ignore the fact that you know spouse abuse is rampant throughout the church and throughout you know we know like police are like i think it's what 30 or 40 percent more likely to something like a third something like a third of all police or two-thirds even some some ridiculous number yeah and i'm just like we why are we ignoring the horrible things we're doing as a church as an institution whenever but and you know when you bring that up you know what they say they say well yeah that that's terrible we should totally do something but you know we do have that food bank we're doing which is good they immediately want to turn to something good that they're doing right right it's the we are unwilling to look at the the problems and and we just want to look at the good things which i understand i understand that that mentality yeah um I was just talking about that today with my wife as we we were pulling up behind a van with one of those lovely uh, America love it or leave it stickers and and I I like I had to think about that about like how that that mentality of you can't critique something you have to you have to accept it exactly as it is and love every part of it it's like on one hand I understand that uh, I understand that in the Mr. Rogers sense yeah. Of, of loving someone for completely who they are, unconditionally, that sort of thing. Yeah. But, but. <laughs> um, there is a but. There is a but. There still has to be that willingness to to critique, that willingness to to push the other person to grow. If sure. if I were in an abusive relationship with someone, um, I would n- the, the conversation would not be love it or leave it. Or maybe not an abusive situation. That's a bad example. But if I were in a, in a in a relationship with someone and there were certain things that we kept conflicting over, mm-hmm. um, the the that that mentality of love it or leave it is a poopy mentality. Yeah, um, and it's yeah. it's highly destructive because if if you have to love someone for every part of them exactly as they are and just kind of accept the abuse, accept the critiques, accept whatever whatever bad part there is. Um, ultimately, that just puts you in a relationship that's not uh, equal. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so, then, go ahead. Sorry, and honestly, like the whole idea of love it or leave it is very unbiblical. Like, look, look we look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a priest and he was called to critique the entire institution 
he stood in front of the temple gates and said, hey, everyone, you're doing it wrong. God's gonna, you know, punish us because we're not doing it correctly. We need to completely reform things. Oh, that Jeremiah and his virtue signaling. I know, right? <laughs> Those prophets, why can't they just like the things the way they are? It's almost like they're speaking from a higher power. <laughs> but but that kind of like makes me think of you you had mentioned it before the when you were having the conversation with your secretary about the you're not allowed to have opinions. Yeah. And, and I find that to be the case um, in a lot of cases, and that this will be the segue into sexism. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I find that to be the case, the situation in a lot of cases, that whole sense of we as pastors and pastor spouses especially, we're supposed to exist in some sort of vacuum where we don't have opinions. Mm -hmm. um, or if we have opinions, we can never let those opinions be heard. We just have to quote, preach from the Bible. <laughs> Preach from the Bible, that's it. Um, but none of those radical passages. Right. But <laughs> but we are following congregants who who every opportunity they have are spouting opinions, which isn't which isn't a bad thing. They, nope. you, you can say what you want, blah, 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 all that good stuff. Um, but but it's that that sense of a double standard, especially when conservative pastors are never told to shut up. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just it's just those those pesky progressive pastors who are who are consistently told that we don't want your opinion, you can't have an opinion. Um, and then and then when when they push you on Facebook, you have to respond in a certain way, um, which really just continues that trend of abuse of cert yeah. of those people are allowed to say whatever they want, but we can't say whatever we want because we're quote professional. Yeah. And, and on one hand, I understand, you know, the whole idea of setting examples, blah, 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 but eh. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I, I struggled with that a lot. Right. Luckily, and luckily what I have now, maybe, maybe I can do this for you sometime too. Uh, <laughs> I had quite a few people, uh, not from the church, uh, who, you know, th actually some people who actually do not like churches. They, they've kind of gone really, they, they've just not like church anymore. Um, but they've heard me speak and heard me talk about Christ and heard, heard me talk about the, you know, God. And, and they're like, I would love to actually listen to you speak. Um, when I've posted some stuff that's been more I'll say, I'll use the word radical, but it's been like, you know, hey, humans, you know, black people are humans. We need to respect them and they don't deserve to be killed on the street like animals. Um, and, and congregants would be like, all lives matter. Uh, these people, I, I, they'll, they're like my squad. They would come in and like, just question this person. And they would just like go after, they wouldn't go after this person like, by their intellect or go by after this person by like how they looked or anything but they would argue their their statement and just pretty much get the person to act have to be like on that facebook page for 24 hours as like people just constantly commented and constantly questioned them and constantly corrected their statements um and so i never had to uh, really comment back to people, which was nice to get my point across because I had this whole squad doing it for me. Uh, and they did it honestly very lovingly. Uh, they, they did it very lovingly. So maybe I can be that for you whenever I see posts <laughs> and people commenting. I can be like, hey, you know, Jesus loves you and he loves black people too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I've allowed, kind of like what you said before, I, I, to some degree I've allowed them to win. <laughs> Mm. Uh, because I, I unfriended every single congregant on my personal Facebook and locked it down and made it uh, private to friends only, because because I kept hearing I kept hearing secondhand about people having problems with things I was saying and you know obviously nobody can talk to me directly, yeah, um, and I think the I think the the crowning achievement the moment that both my wife and I uh, locked our Facebooks down fully. Um, was when she was working out at one of my congregants' farms, um, mm. and there was just this random electrician stopping by, and we had never met him. We had no idea who this person was, and she left. My wife left, and he asked uh, the he asked the congregant who who she was, 
And she's like, oh, that's the pastor of the, or that's the, the wife of the pastor at the Methodist church. And he's like, oh, she's terrible. Don't you know what she posts on Facebook? Don't you know what she thinks about police? <laughs> and and like I said, we we had no idea who this person was. I still have no idea who this person is. And it was just that moment of like, all right, this is that's enough. <laughs> yeah. We're 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 picking our battles, and this is not a battle worth fighting. Yeah, uh, this is not a hill worth dying on. So sexism. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there's this there's this long notion that we hear about in seminary that pastors live in a in a fishbowl, mm-hmm. um, and I think that is especially true for our families. Yeah. Um, because I can, I can understand, um, the pastor getting critiqued for certain things, um, for, for certain unprofession, unprofession, unprofessionality, whatever. But it's when, it's when our spouses, uh, when our partners, when our children, whatever the case might be, when they're brought into the conversation that, uh, it's that, that boundary crossing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I think a lot of that is built up by this inherent sexism um either consciously or unconsciously within the institution itself (laughs) um that sees the wife (laughs) uh as merely an extension of the husband or the spouse yeah yeah uh oh yeah yeah i want to my interview for this for the, the the church position that i was in they asked me uh, if they hired me, what would my wife attend, and what would she be doing? I said, "Well, if my if I was hired, like my wife has a very unique schedule. She ha- she works often on weekends, so many times, no, she won't attend because it's going to be a busy season for her, so she can't attend. And but, however, that doesn't mean that like she." is going to never be here there will whenever she can be she'll be here um and whenever she and then as COVID happened it's whenever she feels that she can safely be here she'll be here um uh they asked me what else she would be doing like would she can she play the piano would she be in the choir would she help with the youth and I was like no if she felt called to do that she could but I'm I'm not gonna make her do anything uh and Corey, I think you and I have a very similar uh, wife, uh, wives in that they're both strong women. They're strong, independent women. So like uh, them, them saying, uh, are you going to tell her to be a part of anything? I almost laughed. So I'm like, no, no, there's no way. Like she's going to do what she wants to do. Uh, and, and for some, I know that is like they, because especially when you read like certain passages in uh the bible that especially during weddings about how the woman is to leave and become one with the man and like the mm-hmm. woman is to be subservient to the man i'm like yeah i get that that's <laughs> that is very nicely written but you know we like to look more at the adam and eve story where it's their partners they work together and they both have each other's hopes in mind but no there's definitely <laughs> a sense of women especially like if you look in the past uh women often uh the wives of pastors would come in and they were organists so Mm -hmm. they would come in and they would bring the music uh they would come in they would bring an aspect uh into ministry that the husband couldn't nowadays that we're you know i tell people straight up like no that's not like you're hiring me you're not hiring my wife if you want to hire, if you expect her to do something, increase the pay. Like you got to be paying for both people then. But that's not how they they just want to hire the pastor. It's that it's that holdover from complementarianism. Yes. Um, which complementarianism? I, I hate I hate to just throw out uh, the heresy accusation, but I'll say I'll say it's based on a heresy all the same. <laughs> that that sort of of, of uh, subordinationism would be the actual heresy. 
yeah uh that that sense of that that sense that there is a hierarchy within the trinity <laughs> that it's yeah. god the father god the son and god the holy spirit or something like that yeah. um and and when in reality it's like well no <laughs> it's not the case <laughs> Um, within within any of the within any of the Christian creeds, any of the, the origins of Christianity, that's just not the case. And um, and yet, uh, complementarianism is one of those things that keeps rearing its ugly heads and head and reminding reminding me <laughs> why why heresies were a thing in the first place. Yeah, like that entire sense of like, well, the practicality of it and seeing the effects of it and there's a reason why it was considered a heresy because it leads to very damaging um, ways of interacting in the world and seeing how people are and treating each other. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. I feel like, especially with complementarianism, we, we, we see it. I feel like every so there's like a rhythm of heresies that pop up every couple of years, like every, like every couple of years, a new heresy comes back and it's like, mm-hmm. Hey, we renamed it. It's cool now. Uh, and, and I feel like complementarianism is very powerful now, especially because we see this, the question of authority, uh, because the, the authority of the land, uh, the president, the POTUS, uh, is questionably sane uh, and is questionable completely. Uh, so we, we have to question, like, so we're saying, okay, that's an issue. Are we really going to subserve our like give our you know are we gonna listen to every single thing this person says because there's a lot of things that they say is like drinking bleach not a good idea <laughs> and people have people have been drinking bleach and die and like dying and going to hospitals because of this so i'm not surprised that this is you know something that's again rearing its ugly head and really like show like really taking a forefront in church thought uh because when we question one piece of authority we question a lot more Mm-hmm. And sentinel, uh, I just lost that word. <laughs> the heresy's name. Subordination. What was it? Subordinationism. Sub- well, yeah, subordination. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's really coming into play because if we're going to question authority, like the police, or if we're going to question our judges, if we're going to question our judicial system, we are questioning a lot of things. So this is going to mm-hmm. come up and like, no, 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 solid things are submissive to one another. Look mm-hmm. at God; He's a perfect example. Not surprised that that's coming back. It's mm-hmm. a heresy, but not surprised it's coming back. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really just that that sort of pushback that that we get. And again, this this is where that whole resisting the principality comes in. Mm-hmm. It's that pushback where a principality will only really suffer itself to be questioned so far, because if you really get too deep <laughs> into like the questioning. Um, you know, if you get too deep, everything falls apart. That mentality of actually everything is just kind of arbitrary when you really yeah. get down to it. And and depending on how, I mean, everybody has a comfort level for how far down they're willing to get. Yeah. Um, how far how far they're willing to let their line of questioning go. Mm. And pastors, progressive pastors especially, I like to think, are usually more and and millennials and zennials especially. Yeah we are we tend to be more willing to question deeper than yeah. than people in older generations yeah and and maybe maybe some of that is like just a a reaction to the culture you know that whole semblance of well everything's changing so fast and and it is everything's things have changed far faster over the last 100 150 years than they ever have in all of human history yeah um and and that is frightening. <laughs> I I think about that sometimes. For like when I when I'm trying to be when I'm trying to be patient when I'm trying to be understanding of where people are coming from. That whole sense of if I were a conservative, if I were a conservative, um, it would certainly seem as though every aspect of what I believe, <laughs> everything that I hold central to my identity, um, everything that I've been possessed by. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that way uh, is being questioned, you know, gender norms and gender itself and uh, uh, historical figures, historical things that, figures, things that <laughs> things that I'm sure people thought were solidified and understood and not needing questioned. Mm-hmm. And and 
things that have become idols. Um, and so rather than rather than being willing to question why were the why was the why did the police come along in the first place? <laughs> and yeah. and when you go back and it's like, oh well, slave patrols and uh uh union busters. <laughs> um oh, oh. Uh but instead it's the police have always been there, they will always be there, they are eternal. Um, yeah. As opposed to like, well, maybe it worked for a time, or maybe it didn't work, but we thought it worked at the time. Yeah. But maybe now something different is needed. Maybe maybe it's okay that the institution dies because, hey, institutions are mortal too. Yeah. Yes, they are. Which, I guess, segues into white supremacy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, kind of the chief in a lot of ways, uh, principality of America. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it, it permeates throughout all of our stuff. Mm-hmm. Like throughout our entire history. Because really when you get down, when you get into, when you get into the history of how white supremacy came to be in this country, you, you begin to learn things about like the Anglo-Saxon identity, mm-hmm. um, which was held as sacrosanct, um, by, uh, by, the founding fathers by the puritans by the people who are who are credited with kind of building this country's philosophy um when you read like any of the founding fathers you find that sense of anglo anglo-saxon supremacy that mm-hmm. the anglo-saxon uh the people of ancient germania um they are they are the end-all be-all of, of human human ingenuity and that we saw how that same mentality led to the holocaust yeah, because uh, that was the same exact mentality, um, and and as slavery happened, and as Jim Crow happened, and as the civil rights movement happened, and as um, the majority of of paler, whiter, whiter people, um, kind of being able to blend into that Anglo-Saxon narrative or identity, the Anglo-Saxon identity kind of just gave way to whiteness, um, and so there was whiteness and there was blackness, and there was really nothing in between. Um, and that then led to, well, white people are obviously just better than anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's, you know, it's not a unique thing. Uh, white people, Anglo-Saxons, we were not, the white people were not the first to think of it. Uh, this, you know, we see this throughout history. Every group, you know, every group in power believes themselves to be superior uh, but the quite whenever we but white supremacy is not a good thing it's not a good thing it's not a good excuse either but whenever we deal with white supremacy in the church is when it's like i it literally like just makes me shiver when when i hear the white supremacy mentalities and and statements in churches in through pastors through congregants uh through logos through slogans whatever it might be whenever you see that it just and you know that's where it's originating from it just it it sends a shiver down my spine and it also makes me like it it makes me super disappointed in them because i'm like you guys are actually worshiping a, a middle eastern man like right like you know christ came as a middle east he didn't come as a white dude and I know there was some pastor who posted something saying Jesus was white. He was not. He was not white. Don't let him lie to you. Eric Metaxas. Yeah. The, the author of that that god-awful Bonhoeffer biography. Yeah, I remember he... Yeah, I remember that was who... That's mm. who broke the same crap. <sighs> who, who in turn also turned around and wrote some very racist and xenophobic children's books, which the irony of that is just beautiful um but but white supremacy is fascinating in that sense that everybody kind of knows that white supremacy is bad yeah um i mean except for like the actual white supremacists who are like yeah (laughs) but but the the majority of people i would say know uh theoretically that white supremacy is a bad thing but (laughs) it still appears in their mentality because it's how we are trained to think um, yeah. consciously and unconsciously. So, yeah. so we can, we can be like, well, no, white supremacy is a bad thing. It's evil. It's bad. But then we turn around and we 
do something exceedingly white supremacist in in origin. Yeah. Um, Donald Trump, <laughs> who's going to be featured a lot in this show, um, you know, he he disavowed white supremacists and all that stuff, and you know, said all the right words when people asked him to say it. You know, not right away, but eventually went to <laughs> went to say the right words. Uh, but then he turns around and posts like, you know, we celebrate manifest destiny. And it's like, yeah, well, hmm. no, we don't. No, we, don't we don't celebrate that. That's no, bad. We... <laughs> that's bad. That's that's directly rooted in white supremacy. Yeah. It's so disappointing. <laughs> you hear that kind of crap. Oh, oh. no, yeah, uh, I. <laughs> uh, we had, I had, there was a person in the church that I was at he whenever black lives matter stuff started coming up and all these questions and then talk about race really became a big issue uh i remembered it was i want to say may may or june uh he was talking to me and he was like i really wish our church would talk about race i wish our church would talk about the white supremacy we have here and this was, I know it was shortly after my talk with the, the pastor and his uh, cohort uh, with my wife uh, about how white supremacy wasn't in the church and there wasn't, there were no racist people in the church because you can't assume racism. You can't assume they're white supremacists um, based on, you know, you can't assume that based on their <laughs> actions. Uh, they have to, they have to tell you. Uh, so, I, I, but he just was brokenhearted. He, he's a, a man who, who's not he down on his like you know he doesn't have a lot and he lives right across the river from the church and he depends a lot on his survival on the generosity of the church and he does great ministry throughout the city that he's in but he just was like I wish we would talk about it I wish we could talk about the racism and the white supremacy that ha is here and it's just you can talk whenever you talk to people it's there and it was really broken like I just had a conversation with the pastor about it who has been completely in denial that it existed. And so I was just like, you need to bring this up. You need to bring this up to, and I gave him a couple other names of people on our council and of people in authority uh, positions that were not the pastor because I knew the pastor wasn't, the pastor will tell you that it doesn't exist. So he, he'll try to, to gaslight you there. But it just breaks my heart whenever people who see it are are wanting to do the right thing and go to the the people that are in charge the people who are supposed to have their best interest at heart the pastors and that pastor would tell them it's not that what he's experiencing and what he's thinking of isn't really racism or isn't white supremacy uh and ignoring it not to you know it, it's just so disheartening oh <laughs> which it, again is ex extremely understandable why pe why pastors burn out so quickly mm -hmm. yeah pushing <clears throat> pushing back against the principalities pushing back against the systems whatever we want to call them mm -hmm. is and can be an exhausting thing yeah um pretty objectively is an exhausting thing because ultimately what it means is that to some degree every day <laughs> you're you're fighting a battle um yep. both both physically well not physically but but both ideologically in terms of like actually talking to people but also like at war with your own mind mm -hmm. because like your own mind wants there's a part of my mind that always whenever i whenever i come up against like the well that's not racist conversations but part of my mind says well what if they're right <laughs> yeah um, we're just kind of hoping to be like, well, what if they're right? Maybe we don't have to have this discussion then. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We don't have to be exhausted at the end of the day about right, it. Right, which is really just trying to pull us back into the status quo and just accept everything as is and just shut up. <laughs> morally die. Die morally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast because I want to have examples and conversations about how it is that we fight and resist and can uh, uh, confront and how, you know, 
it's uh it's super difficult (laughs) it's super disheartening at times but um at the end of the day it is uh important and i think it is even uh i think it's rewarding yeah um yeah I, I, I don't usually don't like to throw just throw out random Bible verses, but it's that that Galatians one about um, not losing hope or not giving up and doing good. Yeah, running the good race. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's a different one, but I get yeah. it. Like I, yeah, and, and to tell your to tell your audience, <laughs> I guess, like I'm 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 out of you know ministry at the moment. I'm not in any working capacity of minister, but. I'm still planning on starting stuff up and, and doing that. Like it's disheartening dealing with the institution. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know myself and a couple others are questioning being like, well, what if we do our own? Mm-hmm. What if we start up our own and try to keep it as open as the early churches did mm-hmm. where it's not the, the, you know, have to do it this way, have to do it that way. Be like, no, let's, Let's work. Let's get get together, worship God, read from the text, talk about it, see how it is with each other's souls, and and do good works in a community. Like that that is all church is. That is all mm-hmm. church should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that verse is Galatians six nine. Which first of all, nice, um, and second of all, it's uh, so let us not grow weary in doing good. Let it, okay, so let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. Yeah. That being the NRSV version. I know the reason I wanted to say good was because I think the NIV translates it as good, but whatever. Yeah. Um, but I know for me, um, I find myself to be the most human. Mm-hmm. I'll use that language. Um, most free, most human, whatever, whatever you want to say. Uh, when I'm engaged in blacksmith work, um, especially in a lot of the guns to garden tools ministry that I get to work with. Yeah. Um, because I find that to be some of the most exciting and like soul filling and, and enriching ministry. I'll call it a ministry, um, yeah. that I get to engage in because I, I've had people twice now come to the house as I've been, um, working on something and work alongside me and me te- teaching them some of the skills, some of the what it looks like to blacksmith and realizing that, you know, I might not be cut out (laughs) to be a a parish minister forever. Um, There might come a day, there will hopefully come a day, (laughs) where where I'm out of this line of work. Uh, But I'm working on building the, the the framework, the groundwork for what comes next. Yeah. Yeah. And and for me, and I think for you, um, that's that's where I find hope. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I always want to try to end this podcast on hope rather than yeah. on, because we we got pretty dark, we got pretty yeah. down in the valley there for a bit. Yeah, you, but you do. <laughs> you know, right. With the powers and principalities, of course you're going to get down right. <laughs> a little bit. But but I always want to make sure that we're not leaving this podcast on a downer. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I don't, you know, cause yeah, then people will stop listening, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that sense of hopefulness about, you know, what comes next? How do I, how do I continue to feel more human in what mm-hmm. I do? Um, and that's, that's ultimately how I would describe it. Not necessarily even like feeling more like a Christian, yeah. um, all that good, blah, 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 that evangelical stuff that's been so overdone that it lost, it's lost all meaning. Yeah. Um, cause I think, I think in a lot of ways, I think in many ways, you know, it's not that Jesus came to teach us how to be Christian. It's Jesus came to teach us how to be human. Oh yeah. Um, and that's what I find hope in. <laughs> and there, there are those certain aspects of ministry, uh, those certain practices that I do where I do feel more human. <laughs> Yeah, I get it, man. You gotta move out here, and we'll all start up a new thing. I I know, I know the some I know Ethan and Nick want to start something up, so we'll all do this great big thing. We can have a blacksmith shop, we can have a D and D group, we can do all this stuff. I love it. Really, you're just falling into Annalise's plan of buying a Ren Fair, <laughs> dude. I, 
let's just build a small tiny community it'll be great mm. my my wife is uh my wife is actually buying a horse from from that congregant that she's working for yeah uh in buying the horse what it means is that she's working the horse off yeah uh and so like for x number of hours of work she gets the horse and so it's like I mean, on one hand, that's a good thing because it means that we get to use that as leverage to stay closer to this area because I like this area. We like this area. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good stuff happening. It's just, we don't want to be in this town. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's like, well, we need to be within like an hour and a half of here because an hour and a half, that could be like, you know, a weekly trip in to take yeah. care of the horse and do whatever else. But yeah. So, very cool. Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Liam. <laughs> no problem. Glad to be on. Yeah, glad to have you on. Uh, if you have questions, dear audience, uh, if you have comments, if you have anything like that, leave, a, leave us a message. You can do that on the Anchor app or on the Anchor website. Uh, and if you do that, we can, I'll, we'll, we might be featured in a future episode. So, drop us a line. And Liam, uh, we might have you on the show again at some point. <laughs> I would love it. Awesome.